This episode of The Homilist is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. For over 75 years, Ozark Christian College has been preparing students for ministry. Ozark's 15,000 alumni are serving in all 50 states and in 100 countries around the world, carrying the gospel to every part of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. For more on Ozark's residential and online degrees, visit OCC.edu. Welcome back to another episode of The Homilist Podcast. Today's guest is Cy Huffer. He is the lead pastor at College Heights Christian Church in Joplin, Missouri. He is a super good dude, just a sweetheart of a guy. You'll enjoy this conversation. If you have not checked out the website, thehomilist.com, get over there and check out what's going on. If you have not signed up for the exclusive content, sign up for the exclusive content and check out the YouTube channel that has these videos. This is my conversation with Cy Huffer. It's good to be here. I'm glad I could be a part of this today. Very cool. Very cool. So tell us where you are. Tell us where you are, what you're up to. Yeah, I'm at Joplin, Missouri. I'm at a church called College Heights Christian Church. I've been here for the last two and a half years. Uh, and I am currently the lead minister at College Heights. I came on board as a lead minister was prior uh, at a previous church in Indiana, where I was there for four years on a teaching team, but doing a lot of associate different roles there, and uh, moved down here about uh, June of 2016. Hmm, right on. Where at in Indiana were you? I was in Evansville, Indiana, at a church called Crossroads Christian Church. What I've asked this question to a couple other guys. What is it with that Indiana area? Um, and all the Christian churches that do so well there? Man, that's a good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. I know there are more Christian churches in the state of Indiana than any other state in the uh, United States. So it is kind really? of epicenter of Christian church um, growth. Um, but I couldn't tell you why. Um, I know that was kind of the or- part of the origins of, of, of the restoration movement started oh. close to that area. Um, but not exactly in Indiana, but a little yeah. bit over there by Louisville. Right on. Right on. Um, so I, I listened to what sermon was it? It actually wasn't even a sermon. One of yours, you and Shane Wood uh, were oh. rattling, ba- <laughs> rattling back and forth uh, talking about waiting. Yeah. It must have been an, an Advent sermon. Was this an Advent yeah. sermon? Yeah, Advent series. We started uh, Advent uh, through uh, the first uh, 12 chapters in Isaiah. So that's kind of what we did Advent this year. So yeah. me and him kicked it off doing kind of a, a team teaching approach yeah. on Isaiah 1 on waiting for hope. Yeah. Um, t- tell, me about the, tell me about the process. How did you and Shane figure out that you wanted to do things that way? Um, we do that once a year, Shane and I do. We, oh, really? One of the things we really doing together. Yeah. And we really uh, appreciate it and value that kind of uh, that kind of sermon, that kind of teaching and that challenge. Um, we have a, a model for our, our sermon team, our teaching team, our creative arts team, actually, where we present on the sermon that we're preaching in six weeks every week. And then we also present on the sermon that we're preaching on in three weeks every week. We call it the 6-3 meeting. So you have a six weeks out, three weeks out. This is kind of what I think where I'm going. And that meeting creates a lot of dialogue and and gives us a space to be creative and to dream and even commenting and, and, and working through the passage. And that 6-3 meeting has been so vibrant 
uh, a lot of times they're like, hey, let's try and have kind of a 6-3 type meeting on stage for the congregation to see how we work through and wrestle through teaching and, and creating a service around a message and a theme for the day. And so that's really a lot at the heart of those uh, team teaching sermons is us trying to kind of take a meeting that we have every week and do it on a Sunday morning for everybody to see kind of how you wrestle with a text and a topic. Wow. Are, are you by nature um... – Whose idea is the 6-3 meeting? Like who where was that something that was in place when you got there? It wasn't. I conflated two models of uh that I saw that I really liked both of them, but I didn't feel like I wanted to do either one or the other. Uh-huh. So when I came, I kind of conflated these two models. One of them was come straight from the big idea from the day, from Dave Ferguson. And it's the idea of uh-huh. they he writes the sermon with a team for six weeks from now. And then he picks up the sermon he wrote six weeks ago, and they preached that this upcoming Sunday. And for me, I couldn't do that. That was crazy to kind of be working on a sermon all week and then pick up a sermon I wrote six weeks ago. But what I liked about it is it gave them and their creative arts team time to have, I mean, open mode, be totally creative. And so, you know, this has allowed us to, like, you know what? I want to build a confessional booth for this series. We're doing a series right now called Four, uh, Four Confessions to be Rescued. And so we, we thought six weeks in advance of the first sermon, that'd be a really cool image. And so we were able to get some volunteers and build a confessional booth for the stage. And that's because of the wow. six weeks out. So we like the six weeks for creativity, giving space for creativity to happen. But I didn't like the six weeks in the sense of I was writing something that I would preach six weeks from now. Right. Uh, the other model I saw was when I was under Ken Eidelman at Crossroads Christian Church in Evansville. He was always, he was always only working on the next thing. And his devotional life was a part of the next thing. His study was a part of the next thing. And it, fe- it made everything that he did feel fresh because he just mm. he just didn't live in it. And so what we decided to do is uh, what I decided to do for my own study time Monday through Wednesday is me working on the, uh, the sermon for this upcoming Sunday. And then I turn that in Wednesday at noon. Thursday morning, I do research on six weeks out and three weeks out. And then I present on that that next Tuesday. And that's just kind of a rhythm I've been in ever since I got here. And it, it provides basically both models. It allows me to have the sermon this Sunday be fresh, thing I'm working on all week, and then the 6-3 to be something that we're able to have space for creativity. Yeah. So working with working with not necessarily Ken, but if you work with somebody who operates similar to the new, the fresh, it's always a part right there. Is that a is that harder to work with? I mean I mean, for you, I mean, when when you were you were underneath him, what was your role? Yeah, I was um, young adult pastor, so I did okay. college age ministry, small groups for young adults, young families. Um, I did community outreach. Got you. And I did. Uh, I was on the teaching team. Okay. So, so we did a little bit uh, planning ahead. We would have a meeting where it was a two hour meeting where we would talk about the next three services. Okay. So we were just kind. Of, we were basically three weeks out, sort of, and that was that worked okay. But I still felt like, you know, we would come up with ideas in like kind of open brainstorming mode. And even three weeks out, it was like, yeah, that's a great idea. If we had more time, we probably could have done that, but we can't. I see. I see. Um, so him being – him working his like that didn't affect you too much. No. Um, I no. preached three or four times a year. So gotcha. I would come in once and then I would be done. I, mean, I wouldn't preach for another three or four months. Yeah, are you a uh, are you a are you a pretty hyper uh, hyper disciplined guy when it comes to organization and scheduling um, and that kind of thing? No, not naturally. Um, 
like my first semester in college, I think I pulled like nine all nighters that first semester. I mean, I barely was <laughs> surviving, you know, getting right. stuff. Um, no, I'm naturally like a Myers Briggs ENFP, hate routine, can't, yeah. you know, discipline. Um, spontaneity is, you know, my middle name. Uh, but um, I had a mentor just kind of say, listen, you're not going to impact people if you don't lead yourself well. Hmm. And so for a season, I went and swung the pendulum. And became uber uh, disciplined, yeah. very, almost legalistic and tight and, and structured. And I'm hopefully finding a better middle in in this season of my life. Um, but I, I try to stick to have a really clear schedule, really clear system. I'm so bad at it naturally. I have to do a lot of extra work. Yeah, sure. Like my wife, when I'm done doing, she's like, man, she's really just naturally structured. I'm not. So I have to, I have to think extra hard about it just to be semi-structured, I guess, if that's what it is sounds like or means mm. yeah. i operate very much the same way uh ken uh, does I, I can't imagine um tackling something i'll be honest i don't know that i can i can imagine tackling something three weeks out let alone six weeks out i mean because that's because similar to what you said about him i wonder how many guys how many other preachers so whoever listens can can tune in and they can they can they can let us know. I wonder how many different guys operate um, in the sense of your devotional life becomes a part of the mm-hmm. preaching schedule. You know what I mean? Because that's how I operate. And sure. I don't, I've, I'm serious. It's like conjoined twins in my world. Like I don't have any idea how to separate the two. You sure. Know? Like yeah. they are, they are just there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, and what, you know, honestly, what you're bringing, what I'm bringing to the team, it's the, I would say 6-3 meeting and the 6-3 rhythm has been one of the things that has saved me um, these mm-hmm. two and a half years. Before I took this job, I never preached more than eight times in a year. And so it was a big change and a big shift. Sure. But what it's allowed me to do is I bring half-baked ideas. I'm not bringing, you know, six weeks out a full sermon. I'm okay. bringing an hour and a half of my initial thoughts and I bring it to a team and we start having a discussion about it. I'm a verbal processor too. And so it really helps me to say, this is what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? And I get input from women, from people from the different generations, from iGen all the way to Boomer. And we have volunteers that come into that meeting, not just staff. So we'll have volunteers coming in. They're speaking into it and giving ideas and creativity. And and, and what happens is I, have, I spend an hour and a half, six weeks out, an hour and a half, three weeks out. So that by the time I preach a sermon on Sunday and Monday, I go to write that sermon that I've had about five hours of work on already. I'm not looking at a blank sheet of paper. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at possibly an outline, possibly a full-fledged outline, possibly a, a, a a dominant thought, a big idea, and some creative illustration ideas from different people. Um, I'm looking at stuff I've already started and that's when I do my hard chair stuff, like, you know, study, dive into it. The exegesis and a lot of times it you know backs up what we've already been talking about and thinking about sometimes it goes against it and i change the sermon i'm like you know yeah. what you, what i was thinking it's not what the text says and so i do revamp you yeah. know but man more often than not it, it, i love monday morning i'm not looking at a blank sheet yeah I'm looking at a you know five hours of conversations and study and, and reflection yeah how many guys you got on staff or people you have on staff we have about forty-five. Okay, who all joins in in that in that conversation? 
Uh, anyone on our uh, creative arts team. So we have our communications manager, associate minister of worship, minister of worship, our video producer. producer. Um, one of our teaching ministers comes most every week, uh, Mark Scott, which is great having him. In sure the- it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, uh, anyone, the person who's preaching, either six weeks out or three weeks out, they are there. And then we have a rotation of volunteers that come into that meeting too. Wow. So what do you, uh, so what do you do? What do you do if you are a um, single staff member on uh, in a rural church in a place to where you don't have the luxury that Cy Huffer has of having one of the greatest preaching minds in the four state area, you know, in your office giving you this kind of stuff? Where do you go? Where do these guys go to get something similar in that way? I, I mean, honestly, you know, Mark is great, but he's usually not um, bringing exegesis or that kind of stuff to that meeting. Um, he, he remains quiet a lot of the time. The richness of that meeting, honestly, is the lay people and volunteers in the room. Yeah. Because we say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. How does this strike you? And more often than not, man, they bring stuff that I never would have thought. Stuff that, you know, that's hitting them where they're at in life, not, I mean, not in ministry or on staff of the church, but it's, it's, they represent actually the majority of the people who I'm speaking to. On absolutely Sunday. right. Yeah, absolutely right. So I used to do this and, and when I was preaching you know, three or four times at Crossroads, I would have a, a group of people that I thought um, uh, represented the majority of the congregation or different sections of the yeah. congregation. And before I would preach, I would bring them in just for a meeting. And I would just say, hey, here's what I want to say. This is what I think the text is saying. How does this hit you? And right. they would from all the generations, different political you know, backgrounds. Um, and uh, it was super helpful then. This is just us doing it every week. And so I would say, man, if you're in a, in a rural church or uh, you're by yourself, the only staff member, I think having a volunteer team that you do that with, maybe you, you meet with them once and you have four different teams that you rotate through. Um, right. or whatever, but it's, it is so helpful. I, I cherish that meeting almost more for the volunteers than I do the staff. That's, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so if you're in a rural area, you just can find anybody. You just find, um, you go down to the local tavern and ask chip, you know, behind the bar. Hey, chip, you're the only guy I can find to talk to. I need you to talk to me about this deal. That's cool. Yeah, that's real cool. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good information, and I you know what I bet Cy, I bet you some of the information that you get from your volunteer probably makes a world of difference when it comes to um, application, um, mm-hmm. and being able to tie that back to something. This is because our lives are not normal lives. That's right, absolutely. And honestly, like you know, I'll be talking about something that I researched or some. Um, you know, theological term or something, and right. I'll throw it out there, and they ask questions, and that's uh-huh. cues for me too. Hey, so what do you mean by that? Well, right. Hold on, explain that to me more. And I think, okay, if I'm preaching this, and they had a question about that theological term or that issue, then that's something I need to make sure I explain in my sermon. Mm. I can't just throw that out and expect everyone to know it because they didn't know it. And that's something I wouldn't have known if I hadn't yeah. had a conversation with them. That's brilliant. So That's it's, brilliant. It's been huge for me, man. Have you written anything on this? No, I haven't. You should you should sit down you should sit down and write this thing up just as a piece of just as a piece of literature. 
um, for other people to be able to take a look at. Uh, that man, that would be very that would be a very helpful thing to be able to understand. Like here's here's the contributions that people make. Here's some questions that you'll find. Here's some things that might surprise you. Mm. Here is a you know here's a here's an approach that I would go. That would be a very helpful thing. Um, I'm not trying to give you one more thing to do. Sure, but, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you're busy. I'm sure you're busy. So, uh, hey, I've got a list of a few questions here. I want to throw them at you. Um, I think I've sent them to you before. Yeah, I got them over here. Oh, you do. Um, so, well, let's just start. Let's start up at the uh, not the very top top one, but the next one. Uh, who inspires Cy Huffer? First of all, let's back up. Cy Huffer. Yeah. What is the what is the first name? What is the middle name? Well, th- my first name technically is Silas. 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 So S I L A S. Um, from Scripture, you know, Paul and Silas. Um, my parents heard the name, I think, in Scripture, and then um, they uh, had a friend whose name was Silas, and he was an old elderly man from Africa, actually. That they were in business with, and they loved the name, and so they wanted to name me Silas. And my middle name is after my great grandfather, so Silas Paul. Um, but Paul and Silas, I, I when I interviewed at College Heights, I said, "Hey, you could get Paul and Silas in one guy." So you know, <laughs> hey, um, no, but that's basically where it came from. Paul, right. name, gotcha. Uh, my grand great grandfather. Well, Sai Sai is a good. Like I don't trust a guy named Silas. I'll trust a guy named Sai though. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad I go by Sai. That's great. Yeah, Sai's a good one. Sai's real good. Sai's a little more. Sai's a little more of a kind of a mafia name, you know. There you go. Silas, it's kind of like Silas. That's a church name. I don't know <laughs> if I trust this guy. You know, well, I'll tell you, my world changed when Duck Dynasty got big. So was, I don't know anything. I don't know I, anything about it. Oh, the, one of the, the biggest characters on this TV show called Duck Dynasty was Uncle Sai, oh, and he was just you know, big beard. Um, just kind of ornery guy, you know, and uh, man, everywhere I went, they're like, you watched Up Dynasty? I'm like, no, but I know who Uncle Sai is. So. I've never seen, I've never seen an episode, never watched an episode. Um, I, everybody talked about it. They went crazy about it. They loved them. I was uh, just kind of, okay, cool. Uh, whatever, whatever. It's cool. So, all right. Uh, who inspires you, Sai? Comics, comedians, speakers, preachers, artists. Who inspires you? Who who really trips your trigger? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think uh, uh, comedians. I love um, Jerry Seinfeld. Um, I think he 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 approaches it as an art that he is just as a life life of learning. It's a relationship with the audience. It's not just him performing. Mm-hmm. But the audience is giving him, um, you know, just feedback as to what works, what doesn't. Um, he spends, you know, um, years working on just a joke and the exact words of of the punchline and stuff. I just really respect his art and how he's gone about doing his art and his craft. Um, he also just yes, preachers, um, the guys I listen to. Um, I really love listening to um, Tony Evans, mm-hmm. um, John Ortberg, uh, John Weiss. Oh, yeah. Andrew Wilson. He's a guy in uh, London, uh, King's Church, and he is fantastic. I have really um, gotten into listening to him a lot and really appreciate all uh, the way in which he preaches and, and all of those guys. Um, and Matt Chandler is a guy I really respect um, and appreciate. And I'm trying to think of any... Um, yeah, that that's a, that's a good list of preachers yeah. and the sure and, and, and my, my uh, Jerry Seinfeld. I, I, there's I'm not um, 
as big into comics or artists. Um, but athletes, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, I cannot stand the Patriots. Um, but I am inspired by Belichick and his approach to um, his organization. And as well as I am, uh, I'm very, uh, Nelson Mandela has always been a big hero of mine. Uh, yeah, sure. William Wilberforce is a big hero of mine. Um, I'm trying to think of there's anyone else that I would mention. Um, oh, and uh, I love uh, Tony Dungy, um, the mentor yeah. leader. Fantastic book. Um, really appreciate how he goes about his leadership and the way he coached his people. And um, uh, yeah. Popovich is another guy. Coach Pop down at the Spurs, I really appreciate how he uh, handles his athletes and his players. And so those are some guys I just really inspired by in their leadership. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, movies or books? Which one? Oh, um, oh gosh. I love movies, um, and I read a lot of books. I like books, but I don't love, like them as much as I love movies. Um, some of my favorite movies that um, I return to often – um, are saving Mr. Banks. I think that's one of the best. Um, there's a scene in that movie that I feel like describes and packages what a preacher does better than almost any other book, a movie I've ever watched or kind of seen or anything. Save Mr. Banks is a story of the making of Mary Poppins and Walt Disney telling the story. And um, at the end of the movie, he says this line, he says, that's what uh, we storytellers do. We restore order with imagination. Yeah. We instill hope again and again and again. And I just think that's what we preachers do. We restore order with the imagination of the gospel. We instill hope yeah. again and again and again to people. And so that movie is just, it, it wrecks me. Um, the other one uh, is Amazing Grace, which is about Wilberforce. Um, oh, yeah. The, the burden and the long, the lifelong commitment to a cause. Um it, it reinvigorates me. Um, I actually watched the movie, I think, last night. <laughs> I was paying some bills and stuff and threw it in. So I, I like that movie. I, I own that one. I, I do enjoy that one. Yeah. Yeah, I do enjoy that one. That's a very good one. Mm-hmm. Very good one. And then books, um, I don't read a lot of books twice. Um, there's some books I go back to again and again and again for, like, just you know, principles and stuff. Um, I love A Work of Heart by Reggie McNeil. I think it's one of the best just kind of spiritual like leadership books of what it means to become a, 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 a leader and how God it, it cultivates you as a leader. Um, organizational leadership, I, I think it's hard to beat Built to Last by Jim Collins. I think that book is fantastic. And yeah. The Advantage with Patrick Lencioni is also those two, I think, pair uh, wed really well together. Um, and then I love – What was the Jim Collins book? The Jim Collins book before, before Built to Last. Good to great. Good to great. That's the one. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Um, and then I think fiction-wise for books, um, uh, Tale of Two Cities, Dickens, I think it's hard to beat for me. I love that book, that story. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, when it comes to preaching, which style best fits um, you or what is your style of preaching? If you could – it's kind of your go-to, you know, what, what, when you mm. go deliver a sermon and it, and it comes out, what is the, how does it typically happen? What's the, what's your style? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think I'm still trying to figure that out. I know that's, um, 
maybe a cop out answer. No, no, no. That's a great answer. That's okay. a great answer. Um, I uh, read I read uh, Dave Stone's book, which is Refining Your Style, and it has all the different styles of the of preachers um, this last year. And he interviews Gene Apple for one of the styles. Yeah. And um, what Gene Apple said in that interview was, it felt like it took him ten years until he finally found his voice and his style. And that, I, I don't know if that was encouraging or discouraging, but it was helpful. <laughs> yeah, to say right. The least. right. That you know, I'm two and a half years in, and so I'm still, I think, figuring that out. To be honest, yeah. So. yeah. Um, the process of trying to figure out how to preach. Which 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 suits you best? I think the I think the the best way to answer that I think the answers to that question have to come from the people around you, yeah. which which really kind of makes for a really douchey conversation when you have to start asking that question to certain people. You know, like hey, what like what is it that I do that when I'm doing that it seems to click best? You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, honestly, it is a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a feel thing with, with your team and trust the people around you, you know, trying to take feedback, not over inflate it or under inflate it. You know, I think we can do that sometimes too, but take what it is and especially from, from and figuring that out. Uh, you know, I think one time I preached a sermon and I used a manuscript. I had been kind of preaching, you know, without notes and I used a manuscript, preached directly from it the whole time, and I had uh, a good a good advisor, one of the a staff member, come and say, "Man, that was that was your best sermon you preached." And so I'm like, "Oh, wow. maybe I need to preach from a manuscript." So I started preaching from a manuscript, you know. And about two months in, I had someone come up and say, "Man, you know, I feel like when you're preaching, you're looking down and making these big points." And so I didn't preach from a manuscript and got some great feedback. And it's like, okay, I could be playing this game for forever, you know. Right. Preaching like this, like that, trying this thing and changing what makes me comfortable or what doesn't, just depending on the feedback of the week. And that I just got tired of doing that. I was like, you yeah. know, I'm going to keep doing this. And so I just kind of allow each sermon to determine what I do. Right. And that's a lot better. Yeah. Sometimes the text will take you to the place. Sure. You know, take you to the emotional, the emotional level of. Um, oftentimes, have you ever been guilty of playing to your strengths? Out of lack of preparation, laziness, or I'm just dog tired. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, there's you know, there's been times where you know, even um, well, even even this Sunday, um, I, the text, I am just wrestling with it. I just feel like I have not gotten a bead on what God is, is trying to say or what he's trying to speak. And so it's getting to the point where I'm, I'm exhausted from the process. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, man, okay, so what, what can I do? I still have to preach on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Everyone yeah. show up, there's still going to be a sermon. And so there is a temptation to just say, you know what, I'm just going to, uh, you know, not really, really lean into this. <laughs> and just kind of right. create a sermon that kind of uses the text instead of, honors the text and allows the text to, you know, speak through me. And so that's definitely a temptation. Um, Is it a a bad thing? You know, I think, I think if it becomes uh, a pattern, Mm -hmm. um, 
I think God absolutely, um, there, I know that there, there's definitely been times where I, I, I throw something together. I'm like, I don't know if this is any good. I didn't get the week got away from me, a funeral, right. came up, you know, um, or something. I'm like, I'm exhausted. This is, this is, my, this is the best I got. Right. You know, right. As much as I, this isn't my best, but this is what I could do this week yeah. and still have some you know margin in my life. And man, the Lord uses that in some crazy ways. Yeah. Compared to if I would have, you know, put 20 hours into this sermon and I killed it and I showed up and it was polished and it was nice. Maybe I impressed some people, but it didn't impact people the way God, you know, had planned for it. So I think if you have a pattern of, you know, Saturday night specials that happen week after week after week after week, that yeah. may, I think that's necessarily the best um, for, I think, the tenure and, and the long haul. But man, I, you know, I think that's, I think, that's real for people. Other people yeah. are fired. And even just saying, listen, and I've said that before from stage. I mean, this this week kicked my t- kicked my tail trying to get this thing put together. You know. Yeah. I think people respect that authenticity. Yeah, I do too. You know, it's one thing to be, uh, it's one thing to to be transparent in the pulpit about certain aspects of our life. But you know what? If we were to get very transparent about the moment we, t- we step into the pulpit or the morning, you know, how the morning had gone uh, before stepping into the pulpit. That would be a lot of baggage, you know, sometimes, because sometimes Sunday mornings can be that just very, the, the grind of, you know, uh, sometimes just the nerves of it, you know, running the sermons and the points through your head over and over, you know, making sure that you're, you know, really locked in and you've got it together. Um, while you're trying to remember names, while you're trying to make sure you shake hands and, yeah. you know, um, make sure you don't have something on your, on your shirt, mm-hmm. you know, your wife's looking at you like, what'd you get on your tie? You idiot. You know, <laughs> like, the, uh, so that's, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, when you start your sermon writing process, um, when you really sit down to put pen to paper, what, what day is that? What day does that typically start for you? Um, usually Tuesday morning. About halfway through Tuesday, I, Monday I feel like is my kind of exegesis of the, of, the, of the text. Tuesday is illustrations, quotes, you know, massaging the outline, and then Wednesday is the, the writing the manuscript. It's kind of how I see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we talked about this earlier. This is one of the questions on the list. But uh, your devotional life and your sermon study—are uh, you able to keep those separate? Um, I have, you know, there's been a, a year and a half where I had them separate and this current six months, they're the same. Yeah. So, um, I honestly, I, I we, we had a baby in February. Oh, congratulations. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. she's almost uh, one. She, she's our youngest. Um, so we have two uh, and her, her, I, you know, usually I've done my devotion life in the morning early. Um, and her sleep schedule has, um, worked against that rhythm in my life. And so, um, I've adjusted. And so what I've decided to do is, um, I, I'm, I'm not doing something different from the text, um, that I, that I had been, but you know, I, when I have my time with the Lord before I go into work, um, I, I spend it just reading the passage that we're, I'm preaching that Sunday. And I, and I do specific things each day with that passage as I'm, I'm preparing for it, you know, uh, to, to, to study it. I do that separately from my work time, if that, that makes sense. So I come in the office at a certain time before that um, or the evening prior to that morning 
that's when I spend my devotional life in the same passage. And that has, and honestly, that was something that it wasn't just a Chandler being born that, that kind of necessitated some changes in my rhythm, but it was really trying to wrestle with being my style and, and how I was preaching. It felt like I was writing kind of a performance. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want this to be overflow. You know, I want this to be overflow of what God is doing in me, through me, of the text. It's not, I have my devotional life, and then I go do my job. Are you or someone you know wanting to make a difference with your life, but you're not sure where to start? At Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, they help students discover the kingdom assignment that God has for them, and then train them to carry it out. Ozark prepares students for all kinds of Christian service. Biblical communication, biblical justice, youth and children's ministry, counseling, missions, organizational leadership, worship and creative arts, and much more. Ozark's close community, Bible Foundation, and commitment to service prepares students to take the gospel to every corner of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. And Ozark's affordable tuition offers a quality private Christian education at a public university price. Ozark Christian College, your mission is out there. Your training starts here. You know, it's the, yeah. these are wedded together, and um, that's something that has really, really been rich in this season. I don't know if it's always going to be that way, um, but it is right now. Yeah. yeah. How old are you, Cy? I'm 29. 29? Good gracious, son. 29 years I'll, old. I'll, I'll be 30 next month. Oh, no, no. 30 in March. Sorry. 30 in March. Wow. 30 in March. That's great. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, so you, you're 29 and how many kids? Two kids? Two kids. Okay. Um, so maybe this is a thing that maybe you've seen, maybe you, maybe you've got some insight into, um, um, maybe not, but how do you handle personal breakdown, marriage breakdown, parenting breakdown in the middle of trying to lead a congregation? Has this been an experience that you've had to where you, get in this place of, ah, oh, me and her are not getting along, or I, feel, I don't feel like I'm doing a good job. I, or even, even when you have young kids. Yeah, you know, I think um, I can speak a little bit more on the marriage side of things. I mean, we've been trying to basically keep our kids alive and us get some sleep the last four, you know, three years. Right. Uh, for us, for, for parenting, it's not, you know, we're not dealing with teenagers right now in our, in our stage of life or anything like that, like rebellious um, teens, we're dealing with rebellious kids not eating broccoli. Right. Just sure, sure. Life. Um, but, you know, in our marriage, we've, we've definitely had, you know, knock down, uh, drag out fights and stuff going on in the midst of, of marriage and, and, and of leadership and ministry. Um, we, we laugh. You know, I'm a high emotional guy. Um, I'm a, a feeler on the Myers-Briggs. My wife is half Italian, quarter Colombian. Mm. And so we have this kind of like, Italian kind of love hard, fight hard kind of marriage, and it's great, it's fun, it's exciting, but it also has some rough patches. And we've just been transparent with people about it. You know, about a month ago, I just talked about, you know, we do marriage counseling every year. Um, That's something we committed to. We see marriage counseling as something that's not like you take a totaled car to, to the mechanic and say, hey, can you fix this? But it's getting your oil changed after mm-hmm. a certain amount of miles. It's like, listen, we've been we've been running. Engine might have some kinks. Let's let's go and 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 let's let's have some professional professionals kind of help us with some of the basics. Get our oil changed again. 
And we just talked about that openly to the congregation. We just said, yeah, we do this. And this is something we were learning in marriage counseling. Um, I've talked about fights that we've had, you know, in the house. And like, this is, you know, I, I was wrong in this moment. And the Lord, you know, moved in a powerful way. And we've gotten a lot of cool feedback from people who have said they felt like they now feel safe mm-hmm. in the church talking to others about their marriage issues because we have talked about ours, you know. From yeah. the you don't, you know, there's always, a, a, I think, a line of self-disclosure that you, sure. you go into kind of cathartic. It's This is good for me. Sharing. Right. You know? Right, yeah. Watch that. And I talk to my wife about what I'm sharing and making sure we kind of, you know, assess that i do run those things by her about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's wise that's very wise isn't it yeah very wise well that's good that's a lot of good information um that seems to be something that happens more often there's more guys uh more preachers who are going into counseling or go have counseling go get counseling um sometimes individually sometimes with their with their spouse uh, that's a, you're hearing about that a whole lot more than than we have in previous generations for sure, huh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a that was a hot button issue when when I was in school. I graduated in '04. Um, Doctor Scott was finishing up or was working on um, his doctoral thesis, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it was self disclosure, I think, in the pulpit. Self disclosure in the pulpit. Um, and so that was a that was a thing that was in our expository preaching class or advanced biblical preaching class. I can't remember which one it was. Um, and we talked about that, and and I remember thinking, you know, what's the like, what's the problem? Like these people need to know, you know, I don't understand. Well, you kind of get there a little bit, and you kind of, oh yeah, you know what? <laughs> you could there's going to be people who abuse that, who abuse that, and really make things really kind of make things awkward. For the congregation as well, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, and I know it's. I just think that self disclosure is great. You know, Dr. Scott would talk about. You know, it's that it's the speaker unzipping his heart and revealing his kind of personal life to the audience, and that's when the <laughs> audience kind of leans forward. They lean in and they realize this guy's yeah. human. I can relate. But there is a line that you cross that you can actually start doing more harm than good. And when I do it, a lot of times I try and run it by a few people. Yeah. I want to say how I want to say it. Am I crossing the line or not? Is this being manipulative? You know, or is it is it is it is a testimony? I mean, Revelation 12 is so powerful because we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, which is our self-disclosure. Yeah. You know. Now you don't want to make you the hero of every story. You know, that's that's it comes off very different, you know, prideful, arrogant, that kind yeah. of stuff. But when you <laughs> your weakness um and lord's strength that's when we overcome him by the word of our testimony and so i think it's i still think it's vital and important in our preaching um where do you think preaching is going yeah there's a book um that dr long wrote called from uh preaching from memory to hope and in that book uh, thomas long he's at candler school of theology down at uh, Mm -hmm. georgia and he talks about how every 50 years preaching makes a shift in um, the last 50 years, the shift that preaching made was to narrative, um, and his and his he believes that preaching is making, making a shift, and I think he's kind of right um, to eschatology, to, to eschatological preaching, to, to preaching from um, the ancient kind of traditions. I mean, we, we've seen liturgy kind of take a, a, a new wave of popularity 
of this is you know ancient, ancient um, patterns and rhythms and traditions. It's not traditionalism, but it's taking the beauty of tradition and actualizing yeah. it for today. And we're seeing that coming back for full force. There is something about memory of looking way back and having some ancient roots that is is finding some I mean significance and hitting a chord and striking a chord for people um, today. But it's also looking into the future and, and bringing about the future of where God is moving into now. I think you got a whole generation of millennials and uh, that are now you know no no longer the youngest generation. We have Gen Z or iGen uh, that are coming out into college right now. But you have millennials that are all post college now. They're all in the workforce. And millennials were told, hey, we're going to change the world. Oh, the places you'll go. You can do anything if you put your mind to it. And we're all getting hit by a, a, a dose of reality of a 50-hour you know, fifty hour work week, working 50 weeks a year, and it's tiring. And I think, you know, the, um, the definition of post-modernity is that incredulity towards the meta-narrative. It's, we, don't, we don't like a meta-narrative from someone else, and yet – I believe that millennials and people even in this kind of postmodern age are yearning to be part of something bigger than what they're currently experiencing. A grand narrative, a beautiful story of something establishing heaven on earth today. And I think that they're wanting to get kind of rescued out of the muck and the mire of kind of their weekly grind and are needing to be cheered on into kind of this, this grand approach to what the ordinary mixing with the extraordinary um, so I think there's some – I think we're moving not as much to stories but as much to um, vision and, and not necessarily dreams of vision and dreams like charismatic um, sure. vision and dreams, but vision of where God is moving, his whole kingdom. I think that's why Tim Keller um, has become so popular in his book, uh, uh, Center Church. He talks about theological vision, that we're heading to the heavenly city and we're taking – we're moving from the garden to the city. And there's, there's a whole group of young New Yorkers. Um, in cities that are catching this vision of establishing heaven on earth um, through more than, you know, I think uh, the, the narrative that was popular 50 years or the last you know decade or so. Yeah. So how do we, how do we do that? How do we, how do we paint a picture of a, of a, or paint a, paint a vision or cast a vision for people to be able to see that they are a part of something that, is bigger. Like, how can we do that on our end? You know, and make it make a change where we are to do that. What's the best way to do that? Yeah, I think when you preach about the kingdom of God, which I would I would define as the gospel. When Mark one, Jesus says, um, "Here's the good news: repent. The kingdom of God is at hand." Mm. The gospel is that God reigns. That's the good news that it talks about in Isaiah. Here, how beautiful are the few of those who bring good news? What are they? What's the what's their message? Your God is reigning. He's king. Um, and so when we preach the good news of the kingdom of God, the kingdom is when is the one place where heaven is on earth before heaven and earth become the new heavens and new earth. And so you have this experience in our lifetime we see before we're taken up to glory with God. We see a little bit of this crossover between heaven and earth. That crossover is, I think, the kingdom of God stuff. So we talk about, you know, the kingdom of God, signs of the coming kingdom. That's when you have. You know, the multi-ethnic church, you know, that, that, that gives actually us in leadership a theological foundation for our visioning, for how we cast a vision. Another vision is in the new heavens and new earth, we won't have any orphans. So now, mm. us adopting kids is a little bit of a taste of heaven on earth. That's the kingdom of God. 
That's the sign of the coming kingdom that we bring about today, which gives us a vision as leaders to paint for the church that we can lead in every sermon that we preach week in and week out. So if we keep focusing on preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, I think we take people to heaven because when you talk about the kingdom, you've got to talk about heaven on earth now. Yeah, yeah. What are the millennials bringing to the, to the table right now that is, that is valuable for the church, in your opinion? What's the thing that they're bringing in? They bring a certain energy. They bring um, um, – because you hear it, – it's a constant thing. People are beat. They beat the millennials to pieces. All, they're useless. The millennials are useless. They're useless you know, all the time. What are they bringing into the church that's positive? I don't think millennials are afraid. I, I, I'm, I'm a millennial. And I know that so many of the older generations just talk about, you know, culture, you know, going to hell in a handbasket and what's going to happen to the church. And I don't think we're afraid of the way things are in our world today. I think millennials who have faith, who are in leadership, believe that the gospel is powerful, that God's sovereign that he's moving and that we will pursue and win our generation and pass the gospel on to the next generation like every other generation has that has gone before us. And so I think some of the other generations have gotten a little fearful of all the different issues that we're wrestling with. And I don't think millennials are afraid of that because we grew up in it. We grew up in having conversations uh, about you know, LGBTQ communities. We grew up talking about, you know, political issues and how do you balance justice issues with the gospel. And um, we grew up with that stuff and we're not, we're not shying away from it. Yeah, you're right. That's a, that's a good answer, Sai. I appreciate that. I have a, um, I have a 15 year old daughter and she comes home from school and she talks about her day and she talks about the gay kid in her class and how you know mm-hmm. he's oh so i was talking to you know this guy the other day and you know we were talking she says his name and you know she i'm like like this like it's that that wasn't the generation that i grew up in you yeah. know the generation i grew up in was you either condemn it you make fun of it you ignore it you but hers is like, what's the problem? Like, I don't understand what the – why is it necessary to hate somebody, you know? And it's like she's had to put me in check a couple of times because even in my – even saying to myself, like, it's like it's not hate. It's not – there's no there's no bigotry. There's no – no, nothing. Like, I, I'm not – I don't have – she says, Dad, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I believe you. Like, it still seems like maybe you – like, you were right about – that's a very good way to say that. She's absolutely fearless. On that level, um, which now that you say, I mean, that's a that's a very good that's a very good thing because I mean, it, I mean, it makes me uh, it's a little convicting too to think about that. Yeah, that's cool. Now she's not a millennial, but you know, <laughs> she's she's growing up in this in sure. this time that man, that, that's incredible. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I think you're right. Um, I think probably you might be too young for this, Cy. Um, do you remember? <laughs> I I can't wait to hear back from people when when I talk about this. Do you remember the days of of backmasking when they talked about backmasking? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> All right now, right now, there's probably everybody from like 40 and up are going to be losing their mind when they when they hear this. Backmasking was the idea that satanic messages we were recorded. Mm-hmm. You with me now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, onto onto. Of- 
Right, onto vinyl. Yeah. They were recorded onto vinyl. And if you took the the record play and you played it backwards, it would have these, you yeah. know, these terrible messages and all this kind of thing. Um, I think about that. I think about we grew up in the age where um, everybody was talking about the return of Christ and when it was going to happen and how, you know, the Soviet Union uh, yeah. was going to be. You know, that's 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 who you see in that's who you see in the book of Revelation. Yeah. And like I mean, just all those all those things. And so seeing some of the stuff that that might be happening these days, I think maybe I wonder if that I wonder if that doesn't trigger some of that that early PTSD that we got from our own church, yeah. you know, hearing about all this stuff. Yeah, that's really that's a really good conversation. I'd be uh I'd be interested to hear from other people about that. Yeah, that's really that's really funny. Yeah, that's good. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think you guys do bring a certain a certain confidence, mm. um, a certain confidence that you know. Hey, the, what's the world going to do? Fall apart? Like I'm scared of that falling apart. Like it's been falling apart since I was born. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good point. Go ahead. Well, and I was just you know we we um, you know 2008 the, the economic crash. We you know we were in high school, middle <laughs> school, college. It didn't really hit us. Um, and the world has been fine since, you know, and so the, the country has been fine since. So I, it seems, it seems like, and, and maybe that's naivety that that probably is. There's, there's probably some arrogance there and there's probably some, you know, not, not, not humility that we need from the other generations. But I do think that we march forward with confidence that the Lord, the God, the gospel has penetrated every culture and every generation. And we think it'll penetrate this one as well. Yeah. That's good. So I I, I uh, appreciate that. Hey, um, the ultimate goal here. Maybe I've shared this with you before um, in uh, in some of our emails. The ultimate goal of this of this podcast, other than my morbid curiosity and 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 uh, f- sense of nosiness that I want to pry around in somebody else's life. Other than that, <laughs> um, the point of of this podcast is to reach out to ministers who are in places where they're feeling discouraged, where loneliness has become an issue, where they're the single staff member, um, where they're bivocational. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the overall idea of this is to have conversations with other guys to be able to let other people hear these conversations mm-hmm. and be encouraged by these conversations. If you are, if you have some of these guys in front of you, and, and hopefully, um, hopefully the listener base um, will 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 be a good mix that we'll be able to reach out and we will hit some of those guys, those bivocational guys, um, with a free resource that they can they can be encouraged by. Mm-hmm. If they're listening, and what do you have to tell them to encourage them to stay in? Because I think sometimes they want to throw in the towel. I'm in rural Kansas. Mm-hmm. And and so I know the preachers who are around me, and I get to hear the stories. And when we get together and we meet, the there is a sense of loneliness and there's a sense of uh, almost depression at times. What do you what do you what would you have to tell these guys uh, where they are? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, as I read that question, that was the last thing I was thinking about, and I think it it goes back to just Matthew 13. I love um, the parable of the sower. A farmer goes out, he sows seed. Some fell, falls on rocky soil, some falls on shallow soil, some falls, you know, among the thorns, and some falls on good soil. 
and the, the seeds that fall in good soil, they produce a crop of 30, 60, or 100 times what were sown. What what convicts me and, and encourages me about that passage is um, not, the, the seed falling on good soil uh, and, and that production doesn't have to do with how good of a sower I'm, I am. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like I got to find the right soil. You know, I, gotta, I just got to sow seeds, faithfully sow seeds, and trust that God's word will not return to him void. Again, 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 trust the process and pray for a harvest and know that, that it's not dependent on. I know sometimes for me, I think that the, the, the future of the church and, and the movement and the kingdom of God being advanced is dependent on me as a leader and as a preacher of the gospel to preach excellent sermons, to lead the organization well and to mobilize people. And really, I think the Lord shows us in Matthew 13 that you just have to trust the process that God calls you to a task to sow seeds to continue sowing the word of God faithfully again, 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 and that he will, he will, when it falls on good soil, he will produce a crop of 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. Um, he will build his church, not me. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's good advice. I, I appreciate that a bunch. Um, and I think I think there'll probably be some other guys out there who would, who would really appreciate that as well. So if, if, uh, if you're one of those guys, you heard what Sai said. Sai said, hey, Keep your hand to the plow. Keep doing the thing that you do. Keep throwing seeds and slinging them as far as you can sling them. And you, listen, this is not on you. You got a job to do. You just keep doing your job. That's really good. You're a gifted guy. I appreciate you a bunch. Yeah, so, thanks, Jared. I appreciate yeah. it, man. I'll take those to heart. Really, yeah. really. Very good. I really enjoy your passion. Sai, thank you so much for doing this. Would you be willing to do it again sometime? Sure. Would love it. This was great. Yeah. There it is, another episode of the Homilist Podcast in the vault. Sai Hover, thank you so much for joining me on here and letting me pick your brain. For those of you who have not signed up for the exclusive content, let's talk about this for just a second. Here's what you're not going to get with the exclusive content. You're not going to get a whole bunch of emails in your email box, okay? Here's what else you're not going to get. You're not going to get a chance to win a Ferrari. Okay, you're not going to get that either. There's no big Oprah gift giveaway. There's a look underneath your seat. Look underneath your swivel chair. Did I give you a gift? That's not going to happen. No, I didn't give you a gift. There's nothing there. You know what you get? You get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. That's what you get. All right? You get an email. It's got some announcements inside. It's got a list of some upcoming guests, maybe even some books. Also a little part called Brilliance, Breakdowns and High Speed Come Aparts. Now look what you made me do. Now I'm on here talking with no background music. Get to thehomilist.com and sign up for the exclusive content. Check out the YouTube channel. If you like these interviews, you should see them in video. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for the support of Ozark Christian College. Cy Huffer, you are a uh, fine ambassador of the ambassadors. So thanks, buddy.